So we're going to do a quick little two-week series here, and then we're going to get ready for Missions Month. And I'm so excited. Last year on Missions Month, we asked you as a church for $105,000 to build a restoration home for victims of human trafficking in Belize. And we asked you for one hundred and five, and you gave us over half a million to do some incredible things in the country, which is amazing. And we can't wait to tell you about all that God has done through your generosity. We're super excited. But before we get there, we're going to talk about uh, another interesting topic. Some people get uncomfortable. Some people don't know exactly what to do with it. If you're not used to it at this family, we just talk straight and we talk Bible. So that's what we're going to do again this weekend. So I'm running errands last week and I stopped in to fill up my car with gas, put the nozzle in my tank and I turn it on and the dollar total just keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up. The pump used to stop, it used to click when the first number was a five. This time it hit a seven (laughs) and I wanted to scream at the pump like, just stop, like stop. I went to the grocery store. I watched a lady buying grapes. She held up this little shriveled bunch of fruit. She looked at the price and muttered just loud enough for me to hear, are you kidding me? And she put it back down. Her kids didn't get grapes. They officially became a banana family from that moment forward. Laurel and I have have a fairly regular rotation. We like to go out for breakfast. What used to always cost us 27 now costs us 36. We're all dealing with the high cost of living. Your cost of living is what it costs you to live. That should make sense. At 11.15, I know it's early, but the caffeine is free, so stick with me, okay? Your cost of living is comprised of your food, the energy it takes to, to power your life, transportation, clothing, medical care, housing, recreation, and education. And if you haven't noticed, they've all gone up. All of them. Since 1960, the cost of a house in this country has gone up 121%. Last month, groceries went up 4.2%. Energy prices have escalated 25% since 2020. Throw in labor shortages and supply chain issues, and it's enough to give you a heart palpitation. And people are beginning to ask the same kinds of questions that I heard people asking back in 2008, 2009. When is this going to stop? What if I can't afford to make ends meet? What if I lose my house? What if my job goes away? These are real questions and real concerns. And this is an issue. The high cost of living is an issue that has spiritual implications when you think of how Jesus described the high cost of following him. Just so we're clear, following Jesus is not about your life, your money, your priorities, and your plans. Following Jesus is about his purpose for the life that he gave you. It's about the fact that everything that you own is actually his in the first place. And he loaned it to you for a little while to steward really well, and someday you're going to be held accountable for how you handle his stuff. That's intimidating. It's about living true to his commands and his truth because God wants us to experience life to the full, and the only way you experience life to the full is when you live God's life God's way. It's like the old hymn says, the cost of following Jesus demands our soul, our life, and our all. And if you won't say amen, I'll say amen all by myself. (laughs) The scenarios I see in our world right now kind of reminded me of a biblical account where people were faced with the same kinds of, of fears and pressure. 
This week we're going to go back into the Old Testament. I want to introduce you to a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was living in a land where there was an economic crisis and pressure because there was no rain. In his time, no rain meant no food. Food was hard to come by and almost impossible to buy. Food insecurity was everywhere, and this is where we meet the prophet Elijah. There's so many parallels in the story. Elijah had just come off a mountaintop experience. If you were here in January, you know as a church, we just came off a mountaintop experience. In January, we celebrated the fact that we paid off all of our buildings. Because of your generosity, we were able to do that. Praise God, right? So some of you are wondering, Grant, why are we talking about money when we just paid off the building? Let me tell you why. The mission of Christ the King has never been about paying off buildings. While we celebrate the fact that your generosity has placed us in this financial position, that's never been the end goal. That's not our finish line. I'm going to say it again. Paying off the mortgage is worth celebrating. I am so unbelievably grateful. But I want to remind you at the same time, the mission of Christ the King has always been about reaching lost people who are far from God. The mission of Christ the King has always been about being obedient to what God says and trusting Him with absolutely everything. We are not done. Can I remind you of something? There are 200,000 people in this county that don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. And we're here as God's plan A, and there's no plan B. (laughs) This is not a time to back off when it comes to being obedient. I think the best thing, the best time to talk about difficult topics is actually when things are going really, really well. This is a time to press in when it comes to trust. And Elijah's going to show us how to keep our hand open in everything when the world around us is tempting all of us to close our hand and just look after me, mine, and ours. Let's go back to the story. So Elijah just came off a mountaintop experience, triumphed over 400 prophets of Baal with a little bit of southern barbecue. You should read the story for yourself. It's incredible. Elijah then has a run-in with the king and queen of the area, and the prophet goes from mountaintop to valley in a nanosecond. God gives the prophet, because he's exhausted, a little time out. He sends him to a stream and says, I want you to stay there. And by the stream, God gives Elijah the best wisdom he's ever given to anyone who's overwhelmed. If you're overwhelmed today, this is what God says to you. It's what God said to the prophet, and it's so biblical, it's beautiful. God tells his man of God these two things. Have a snack and take a nap. And he tells him that not once, but twice. So this Sunday afternoon, you are being so biblically obedient if you eat a burrito and lay down for an hour. And all God's people said... There you go, all right? So, at this location by the stream, God's providing for Elijah, but he's doing it in a miraculous way. Every morning and evening, God sends ravens with bread and meat to feed the prophet. Here's what you need to know. Ravens are scavengers. They don't share. They don't drop off a meal because they're feeling generous. They they don't go against their nature. So when birds that are from the vulture family start dropping off charcuterie board food, it means God's up to something. And here's what happens in the high cost of living. 1 Kings 17, the Bible says, sometime later the brook dried up 
because there'd been no rain in the land. Can we stop there for just a second? We are not off to a good start, are we? God sends Elijah to the brook to refresh and restore his soul, and then the brook dries up. That's a tough place to start trusting. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Here's where the story gets interesting. She replies, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's desperation. Can you hear the pain in her voice? Can you hear the resignation to her situation? She believes she is done. And there are so many parallels to this story because the reality is the truth of what this lady is encountering is played out every single day right here in Whatcom County. You may not know this, but one out of five people in this community, 20% face insecure, food insecurity every single day. Food insecurity means you don't know where your next meal is coming from, and it happens right here in our neighborhoods. There are so many parallels to this, to this current reality. Let me give you a, a few more. This is an unprecedented time of fear and panic. It was, it was fear and panic for them. And for some in our community, it's fear and panic now. Now I know some of you are saying, Grant, th that's not my reality. We're good. Like we may have been doing better than we've ever done before. Can I speak to those of you who are doing so well right now? First of all, I'm, I'm so grateful. But I also want to remind you of another kind of crisis that comes from doing well. When you are doing well, it is so easy to cross the line into this kind of thinking. I'm doing so good, what do I need God for? And the Bible says pride comes before a fall. So if you're doing well, you should be both thankful and you should also be looking for opportunities to trust God even more. These folks were scared. We've got people in our community that are scared and my Bible says that we're actually supposed to care about that. Food was scarce, people were scrambling and, and maybe this isn't you today but we're called to have love and empathy and to be a part of the solution with this. Here's another parallel. This family's got a real need. This is not a made up scenario. These people actually think this is their last meal and today many people are encountering different kinds and different levels of hardship and we can't turn a blind eye to that. Here's another parallel. This single mom has moved beyond fear to resignation. I see this everywhere I go. People are kind of resigned to the fact that it seems like the world is completely broken and it's not gonna get better. Well, when hope disappears and fear has its way, people move to resignation. And instead of moving towards God, they get frozen and they, come, they become just resigned to their plight. I, I feel this lady's heart. She goes, I'm gonna go home, make bread, and then we're, we're done. Here's how stark her reality is. The reason she's gathering sticks is because she can't afford charcoal. She's got just enough food for today and then it's gone 
and in her mind there are no more options and then a guy from those religious people over there in Israel shows up and has the audacity to ask her to share and I'm sure she's doing math in her head I don't have anything to share oh but she's wrong (laughs) she's wrong we're going to see in just a moment this man's request is actually an opportunity for her she just can't see it yet It's an opportunity to give in a real way to God and to see God provide. She has an opportunity, and through her opportunity, we're going to learn a biblical principle together that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. And the biblical principle is this. When God's people obey, God supplies. When God's people obey, God provides. He provides. Maybe not everything that we want, but everything that we need. And he's faithful over and over and over and over again. And if I grabbed a microphone right now and started walking around this room and said, would you share a story of God's faithfulness? There would be hands everywhere. When God's people obey, God provides. Giving to God puts God first and trusts him to provide. Giving out of obedience puts our trust in God and not in ourselves or our bank accounts or our 401ks if we got one. I mean, it helps us stay focused on the fact that everything belongs to him. So she's faced with a a difficult choice. I got a little bit of food. Now this Bible guy showed up and asked me to share and and I'm scared. First Kings 17, the story goes on. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. This next phrase in your Bible or in your outline, you need to underline this. It's so unbelievably important. It says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. It's not just the prophet talking. He's not speaking out of human logic. He's actually tipping over towards the fact that there is a miracle coming right now. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about your problem, your pressure, and your need to be fed, because everybody needs to be fed. Here's what he says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. He says, ma'am, you're going to see a miracle every single day. That little flower jar, it's never going to be empty. That little oil jug, there will always be something sloshing around in the bottom. God's going to take care of everything you need. I tell you, there are so many lessons here in this request and in this promise. There's not enough time to unpack all of them, but we're going to just say a few things right up here at the front because I really believe it's important for all of us to hear. Number one, trusting God to supply is scary. It's scary. You know why? Because we have this innate need to control everything. We want to control everything, and often we want to control everything and do nothing at the same time. I would caution you, don't ever use the word trusting God as a spiritual cop-out. I actually meet a lot of people who are doing nothing, but they're calling it trusting God. No, trusting God is actually active. You have to step out and keep moving. Trusting God is not doing nothing. In fact, it's doing the most important thing. It's not immobile. It's very, very active. I want you to notice something. Even though she didn't understand everything that was going on, the lady was out gathering sticks. She was doing her part. She was still trying to find water for her and her son. 
She was still doing her part. And even though trust came through her actions, we have to acknowledge the fact she's still struggling with the fact that she's battling resignation deep inside of her heart. Trusting God to supply can be scary. Secondly, trusting God to supply is counterintuitive. When things are tough, there's something inside of us as human beings that makes us want to grab everything we can and hold on to it as tight as possible. When there's a shortage of something, what's our natural response? Get it, grab it, and keep it. If you don't believe me, I want you to remember back to 100 Sundays ago and the line outside of Costco as everyone was hoarding two items. Toilet paper and paper towel. Everybody had them. People were buying them in bulk and reselling them on eBay. Why? Because it's human nature. There's a shortage. There's a shortage, I better go get some. If I announced right now there was a shortage on chicken meatballs from Costco, guess where everybody would be? Lining up, we gotta have meatballs. Haven't eaten them a year, doesn't matter. I gotta have them because there's something inside of us that just says, I have to hold on tight. And what does God ask her to do? He says, I know you're scared, but take what little you have and share the first portion with someone in need. Here's what God is saying to her and here's what God is saying to all of his followers today. I need your palm open, not your fist closed. This is the way of Jesus. Not this. Everything about this scenario is upside down because now she's got a choice to make, right? She can trust what she sees and knows and keep what little she has and die. Or she can trust what she can't see, but thinks she knows, share it, and then live. That is a challenge. And we face exactly the same challenge every single day. And that's why we're talking about this. I believe God has called us to pay the high cost of dependence in the face of all of the pressure that's around us. We are called as the people of God to live life this way. Not just with words, but with deeds as well. And actions. So what is God calling us to do? It's in your outline. God has called us to act counterintuitively in times of crisis and pressure. In a time when we are tempted to tighten everything up and play it safe, God has called us to act counterintuitively and step out in faith instead. That's why we are actively dreaming, but what's next? We could be really happy. No, we're good. Everything's fine. Doing good here in our little, in our little kingdom. Those are not the questions we're asking. We're not asking how can we play it safe. We're asking how do we expand the kingdom? How do we grow and be crazy obedient for the sake of his kingdom? How can we utilize resources to make a difference for somebody else's eternity? And even though the world might say, that doesn't make sense financially. Why are you making more more work for yourselves? We would adamantly say to that, absolutely no. Does it make sense to expand the opportunity for people to hear the life-saving news of Jesus? I say categorically yes. I hope and pray you're with me. God's called us to extravagant generosity in the face of personal need. And let me show you an example of how we're trying to practice what we preach. So we talk about this fairly regularly around here. Christ the King has been blessed with land here in the county, and we have a food share and a farm. Last year, as in other years, we were able to give away over 100,000 pounds of fresh produce to hungry people. I want to tell you not about the food today. I want to talk to you about the lady who's made a lot of this happen. 
for years, this lady has been led by an amazing sister in Christ. Her name's Tracy Whitehead. In fact, let me show you a picture of Tracy. There she is. She's the one in the middle, smiling. That's kind of Tracy's life in a nutshell. Vegetables and children. That's how it works. At the end of this month, Tracy is retiring after 26 years of living with her hand like this. My Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And I think Tracy might be watching at this service. So I want to give all of you an opportunity to put your hands together and thank Tracy. (laughs) Tracy's a hero to hungry people. And I have to say this because even though you see her really big smile, there's a story behind that smile. Tracy's actually led this charge through a lot of personal pain. Physical pain slowed her down, but it never, ever stopped her. The pain of losing both a husband and a daughter during this season to heartbreaking illnesses. It broke her heart, but it never broke her spirit. Do you know why? Because Tracy lives life this way. Her hand is always open to following and trusting God. She's always looking for that next conversation to talk about Jesus. Her hand is open. She she just has never, ever fallen victim to this. And here's the cool thing. As Tracy's hand has been open all of these years to be a blessing, her hand has also been extended. And you know what God keeps putting back in? Because she lives this way, God keeps putting blessing back in. And if I gave Tracy a microphone, she could talk forever about the blessings that God has placed in her life. When I see this widow and the act of faith that she takes, it just reminds me of Trace. The, video, or the widow sees what she has and instead of naturally keeping, she chooses to faithfully give and God keeps providing over and over and over again. A little more flour, a little more oil. A little more flour, a little more oil. Which speaks to our our motivation. Why do we give? We give to develop an ever-deepening trust in God. Because he knows everything we need and promised he would provide. Have you ever noticed that often right after a miracle comes another crisis of faith? (laughs) It's kind of the way it works, right? First Kings 17, 17, here's what comes next. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse and worse, and finally, he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied, and he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house, gave him to his mother and said, look, your son's alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know, now I know. You are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. 
I love the fact that Elijah has a little meltdown right here in the middle of this story. It's permission for all of us. It's okay to have a meltdown. Just as you're melting, always make sure that you're turning towards God and not away. I want you to remember something here. God has been providing for Elijah for years, but just like us, Elijah keeps forgetting that. Don't we do that? I mean, life is going along good, and we're all like, praise Jesus, life is so good. One thing goes wrong, and we're like, where did God go? Why have you abandoned me? Listen to his little crisis here. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy on this widow by causing her son to die? Can you hear the question behind the question? Elijah saying, I don't understand. You saved them from starving, and now he's going to die because of an illness? God, what are you thinking? And then on top of that pressure, the widow kind of joins in on the dog pile. So what do you have against me, man of God? Elijah's in trouble, but I love what he does. In the middle of the pressure, he doesn't turn away. He turns towards. Can I tell you something? If you're experiencing the pressure of living today, turn towards God, not away. See, with every crisis in our life, we have a choice between aligning ourselves with the God of the universe and making him our most powerful ally, or we can turn away from him and make, our mo- make him our most convenient enemy. It's your choice. So let me ask you, in your life right now, honestly, who is God, an ally or an enemy? We've got to get close to wrapping this up, so... Elijah's name has an interesting meaning. Elijah's name means, my God is Jehovah. A fancy way of saying, my God is God. Every time Elijah says his name, he's reminding people of whose team he's on. And he's reminding himself of every promise that God had ever made to him. I am Jehovah and I will provide Even in the middle of all of this pressure, Elijah digs in deeply with a God who's always been faithful and has always lived up to his name. I started thinking about the names of God this past week. We did a series this fall, how God named us. If you want to see the beautiful work of art that we were able to create out of all of the names that we laid down and the ones that God put over top of us, stop in the comments. It's on your left-hand side. But I've been thinking about not only the names God gives us, but the name that God gave himself. And and I put it under this banner in your outline. In this time of, of deep crisis or even mild pressure, whatever it is that you're experiencing, in this time of uncertainty and dependence for all of us, we find God revealed in his name, which means this. If you're here today and your body's broken and you need God to heal you, I want to remind you that one of the names God gave himself was Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals. If you're here today and you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet, and you're experiencing this kind of pressure, I want to remind you, God named himself Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. If you find yourself in the middle of chaos, I mean, life is just chaotic and crazy, and you dread waking up in the morning, I want to remind you, God named himself Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. If you feel alone and isolated, God named himself Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. 
if you feel weak and you're not sure if you can keep going, I want to remind you, God named himself Jehovah Eslamai, which means the Lord my strength. The Lord your strength. And finally, if you feel vulnerable, God named himself Jehovah Ganon, which means the Lord your defense. When we know who God is, we're able to follow his call to open our hand and to trust him. So I know some of you are thinking, okay, Grant, so what's the point? Are you asking for money? <laughs> no, I'm not. In fact, can I say this? If you're here visiting with us and you're, and you're wondering whether or not, oh boy, here we go, you know, like, you just confirmed every stereotype I've ever thought about church. Church, all they want from me is money. I would challenge you to ask four or five people who attend here regularly because they will testify to the fact we don't talk about this here very much at all. In fact, normally when we're talking about money, these are the words that are attached to it. Thank you. This is a generous group of people. They have melted my heart over the 20 plus years I have been here. And if you are new and you're wondering why is this topic so difficult for people to talk about, I just want to invite you. If you're investigating Jesus, first of all, I want to say this. What Brian said earlier at that offering moment, we actually mean that. So if you're new and just checking out what it means to follow Jesus, we don't want anything from you. We would love Jesus for you, but we don't want anything from you. In fact, I'd invite you for the rest of this time and next week to come back. If you'd like to come back and just watch God followers struggle with a difficult area of our life because I'll tell you what I talk with a lot of people who talk a really big game about following Jesus until we start talking about their wallet you know why here's an interesting note Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell and the reason he did that is because Jesus understands there's one thing in this culture that can become an idol faster than anything else and take our attention off of Jesus and onto our stuff and it's money and that's why Jesus actually said where your treasure is there your heart will be also so I'd like to invite you if you're just kind of checking this out and you want to see whether or not churches can talk about tough things even in good times I'd love for you to come and have a front row seat and watch us struggle with whether we are this or this, because let me be clear, this is the heart of Jesus. This is sin. This is disobedience. So am I asking for money? No. I'm asking whether or not you're weathering the high cost of living your way or God's way. I'm asking whether or not you're being faithful to God's call to generosity or whether you're living by your own set of rules. I'm asking you whether or not you're obedient to Scripture or whether you've created your own loopholes to do your own thing. I'm asking you, are you being faithful to God's plan for His stuff? I'm asking, are you being generous? I am asking, are you, are you giving at all? 
I'm asking, is your fist closed to a place of control or is it open to a place of trust? Because I will say this with all of the conviction I can muster. It's only trust when your hand is open. We're getting to the end of this. I better wrap up really, really quickly. Let me just throw in one more story because I thought it was interesting. I was sitting in a local restaurant in a community not to be named, but it's up north and it starts with an L. Um, and uh, I was just hanging around and I was listening to these two guys who were talking right behind me. I was working on a little bit of a writing project and, and these guys were talking behind me. And here's the rule. If you talk loud enough for me to hear with the bad ears that I have, I reserve the right to quote you anytime, anywhere. Um, if you don't want to be heard, you should keep your voice down. That's just kind of the rule, all the rest of it. Well, these guys, they came in and they covered world events in about 45 minutes. They talked about the pressure of the war in Ukraine, which we need to pray about. They talked about issues that were going on with supply chain stuff and container ships that were stuck. I mean, they, they covered the world from one end to the other. And then as they were wrapping up their, their conversation, one of the guys got up, got ready to turn, walked back to the table, put his hand down in front of his friend, and he said, God help us. Because of the colorful language they were losing or using earlier, I'm not sure it was intended as a prayer, but, um, but I think those three words are so valid. It's my prayer today. God, help us. God, help us be people who counterintuitively, unapologetically, categorically live this way. So here's a moment. It's a truly honest moment between you and God. Is your hand opened or closed? Here's the good news. If it's been closed, you can open it. Next week, we're going to talk about all the things God promises when you do. For many of us, our hand is often closed in fear. And if it's closed in fear, can I just remind you of a few things that God would say to you? If your hand is closed in fear and you're considering opening it up, I want you to remember this. God said, he promised, I will provide. All of your needs according to the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. And because Jesus owns everything, that's really good. (laughs) God also would say this to you. I know you're afraid because it feels like you have nothing. Let me remind you of this. I'll speak on behalf of God. God can actually say these words. I can make something out of nothing. That's how I created the world you live in. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. (laughs) Next week, we're gonna find out that God actually also says this. If If you're thinking about opening your hand, God actually says, test me in this. It's the one topic in all of scripture where God says, give it your best shot and see if I don't pour out so much blessing on you that you don't have any way to contain it. I'll remind you of one more piece. When it came down to my eternity and your eternity, your salvation, your forgiveness, your opportunity to start all over again when it came down to the choice that God made about you God gave all how can we do any less